Lately, I've been reading a book called Your Move, What Board Games Teach Us About Life by Joan Moriarty and Jonathan Kay. Joan uh, works at Snakes and Lattes, which is a board game cafe. Uh, not unlike uh, Fantasy Flight Games, which is uh, a, uh, a board game cafe and, and shop uh, and almost a, a convention center uh, sizing uh, near where I live here in Minnesota. And Jonathan Kay is an editor at a magazine called Quillette. It's been really, uh, really useful to read their series of essays about um, various board games and what they can teach us about life. I don't think it's surprising anymore having played as many board games as I have, in particular, uh, some in quite a bit of depth. I'm going to be speaking about diplomacy today. I don't think it's surprising that board games can teach us about life because in, in a lot of sense, anything that we can come up with that is structured is going to be more, is going to be less, let's say, complex than moving through life is. Uh, the reason that I can do a podcast like this and pontificate and that thousands or millions of others can do the same, that we can write about it that we can communicate, debate, is precisely because mm, there are no answers uh, to life. You know, someone can write a book called 12 Rules for Life, which even then is just a guide. Uh, we can have religious texts written about what to do. And uh, these can work uh, for a period of time and, and allow certain societies to and cultures to survive through time. But... Yeah, it, it's really no surprise that board games can teach us about life because, um, well, they're part of they're they're part of life. What I do uh, want to talk about in more detail, though, is is chapter five: a cure for alphas and pandemics, or lessons from pandemic, which is a cooperative board game, which to the author's point, can be taken over and ruined by someone who is an alpha. That is, someone who is analyzing every decision and offering a lot of advice um, to help the team right in this cooperative setting win the game. In the case of pandemic, it's to you know put down the pandemic. The problem is the following, though. When an alpha provides a lot of advice on what to do to, let's say, a new player. He or she is ultimately taking away the agency, the, the, the control over my decision-making, even stealing my destiny, which is something uh, in different contexts we know doesn't work so well. When, when I offer advice to someone who has not asked for it, it's not always heard so well, Right. And I think this has even uh, even larger ramifications in different spheres from volunteering all the way to donating and charity and things like this. Uh, we have this psychological need, I believe, and I think 
there's mounting evidence on this, although it's hard to run a study to capture this. This is from personal observation. Uh, we have a psychological need, it appears from my personal observation, to fix our own problems. It would be nice if someone could fix some of the, the annoyances, let's say. But the deeper problems, we want to we figure those out for ourselves. And so even though it may on the surface feel good if you remove, you know, this small amount of work from my plate, I don't want you to remove all the work from my plate. I don't want you to remove all of my problems because then what would I do? <laughs> what would I do with my life? And this, this comes all the way back to the problem with cooperative games. And where the author gets to is a discussion of actually choosing the right players for these games. It's not necessarily a question or a problem with the game itself. Because as a player, you can play whatever game you want to play. And so if, if there actually was a fatal flaw with the game, uh, it probably just wouldn't be played at all. Um, but, you know, it made it through the playtesting. It made it to publication. It made it through years of people playing it. And I'm going to get to a discussion of diplomacy soon because that's a game I know much, much better and it relates to this topic. But what the author gets to in her discussion is simply that it's a matter of actually choosing the right player. So she describes a, uh, a game with, with three players in the sequel, Pandemic Legacy. So she embarks on this epic campaign. And she talks about there being one member who does not have much confidence at games, but two members, including herself, who are alphas uh, in a tabletop setting. And she says, and here I'm exerting, because our group had not one but two alphas, we would end up arguing about this or that move, trying to persuade the <clears throat> the other that one were correct and the other was mistaken. In effect, we were performing our third teammate. We were performing for our third teammate who, after hearing both sides, would feel well-informed and reasonably confident in making decisions. Right? So there's three players. Two of them have a solid understanding, probably enthusiastic and assertive personality styles, um, maybe analytical styles as well. And the third player seems to be a new player, listening type, a neophyte she describes this person as, um, maybe less outward confidence, um, whether that's internal or as a result of less understanding and experience with this particular game. So two alphas and one learning player. But... Because of the alphas having this debate at the table or over the table, the third player actually gets to see a lot of, of uh, different angles of approaching the problem. And then, so long as those alphas decide that they're going to um, let this player make a decision or from a different point of view, the player has enough, uh, <laughs> has enough muster to say, look, I hear what both of you are saying and I love that you're talking this through. 
now I'm going to make my decision based upon what you've, you know, so generously shared with me and taking agency themselves. So I think it's a two-way street. Uh, an individual needs to, to take the decision for themselves, even when presented with this, um, in this case, two overbearing individuals or uh, just two highly communicative individuals. Um, this, uh, I, I think, is definitely my experience with pandemic. I think cooperative board games have less of an appeal to me in the sense that I hadn't approached them from that perspective before thinking about who are the players that are playing in them. So that was a really cool new way to think about it for me. Um, when I look at cooperative games, I mean, I've even played, uh, so moving away from pandemic, I've even played a game called Robinson Crusoe solo with multiple players, if that makes sense. So I put out the pieces for other players and then I play it solo myself as if I'm having a discussion with myself, um, as if I was playing each player and the game plays, you know, similarly, except that, um, you don't have to convince the other players necessarily, um, because you're playing them yourself. Um, and so you can probably play it a little bit more accurately. And this, I think, transitions nicely into a discussion of diplomacy because diplomacy is not a cooperative game. Or is it? The beautiful thing, one of the many beautiful aspects of diplomacy is that it is simultaneously a cooperative and a conflict-driven game between players. It's extraordinarily difficult to make progress without working with someone, whether they're an overt ally or um, someone who's working with you because it's in their best interest as well. Um, and yet there is, even in the best alliances, the tension of, will you stab me this turn? Since no negotiation is binding and all the moves are put in in secret and revealed simultaneously, at any moment your uh, strong ally could go ahead and stab you. And other players will be reminding you every turn, if they're good players, of these possibilities and that can sow the seed of doubt within you. So that's even in the best and strongest alliances where you're cooperating against the rest of the board and uh, you can feel comfortable that you at least have one person in your corner on your side. But we were talking about how to bring new players into the game. At least the author was in terms of cooperative games. I think the idea of cooperative games probably in the last decade has really stemmed from, uh, I mean, at one level, the world is becoming more and more crowded. And so we have to cooperate. Uh, I think there are probably some overly idealistic ideas out there around if, you know, we cooperated so much, things could be so much better. And I, I'm not as, uh, that's not how I look at the reality right now. I think there, uh, there is um, quite a bit of conflict driven by um, basic ideas of scarce resources and access and things like this driven by whether it's um, energy, uh, 
agriculture, um, medical attention, some of these baseline, uh, baseline pieces. And then when you, you step up one level to the kind of economic and financial, and you have a whole new layer uh, of difficulty, even in advanced economies. So I, um, I think cooperative games, though, have have come up in in this more idealistic culture where we can cooperate together. But also, they're a way f- to get people into to playing more Euro style board games, um, which of course are way more fun than kind of the old school American games, um, at least uh, for many people. So there. Are, is certainly a place for cooperative games and I've played my fair share of them. But when it comes to diplomacy, as I said, it's an interesting balance of a cooperative and a combative or competitive and conflict-driven game. And I think when we're bringing new players into the game of diplomacy, that uh, does, does cause issues. It does cause issues because you need to work with other players and yet you don't want to steal their destiny. How do you help a new player not uh, become eliminated or swayed by other players who should like to uh, curry their favor? You know, these other alphas who are on the board, these other sharks who are trying to snap up, you know, the, 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 (laughs) the, the young Nemo entering, entering the game. One thing that we've tried in, our local club is to give players a quick tutorial on one of the two powers they may be playing out of the seven. And that's helped a bit, but it still is really interesting to watch how new players interact and watch how alpha players interact with new players. Because even if one goes down um, fighting, I think at least for me, I'd rather go down fighting having made my own decisions. And I think that's going to be a, a, a real test for a lot of game designers going forward as they think about the psychological component of how it feels to both have your decisions taken away from you. In diplomacy, we call that having someone else write your orders. And thinking through how to get new players into what are otherwise considered great gains by so many, how to continue bringing new players in when there is that learning curve and getting them over that psychological hump. I think I'm going to leave it there. I want to say thank you to uh, Joan Moriarty and Jonathan Kay for this uh, really interesting book, Your Move, What Board Games Teach Us About Life. Thanks so much.